Joyce joining us online or listening by radio today. So glad to have you with us. If it is specifically your first time to connect with us and join us this morning, hey church, can we give them a big, big welcome? Come on right now, everyone. Welcome them to church. So glad to have you hanging out with us. It's gonna be a great, great morning together as we jump into the word of God in just a moment. Before we do though, let me make you aware of a couple of things. First of all, everybody say first Wednesday. First Wednesday's going down this Wednesday night, 7 p.m. I wanna invite you to get in the house. Man, we look forward to this every month. If you don't know what this is, the first Wednesday night of every month, we come together as a church family. This is gonna be some powerful worship. We're gonna have communion together as a church family this Wednesday night. I'm gonna preach a word this Wednesday. I promise you, you don't wanna miss it. It's gonna be amazing. Children's ministries are going on, and we even have an after party after every first Wednesday in the lobby just to have fun and fellowship. It's gonna be a great time. Don't miss First Wednesday, 7 p.m. happening this Wednesday night. Be here. Also, small groups are coming up. Everybody say small groups. Today's the last day to sign up as a small group leader or to get information about it, but today is the first day that you can go online and you can actually sign up to be part of a small group here at Vibrant Church. Small groups are gonna kick off officially next week for the third season of the year. And you can actually, right now, you can go to Vibrant Church, you can go to vibrantgroups.com and there you can see all of our menu for uh, this season three of small groups in 2020. And it, but if you're in the, the, the house today, it's actually easy and you heard it earlier, you can actually use your camera on your phone. Out in the lobby, you'll see different places where there's a, a scan code. You can actually scan it with your camera, and it'll bring up the menu, because we are high tech, somebody. Come on, y'all. And so we just make, we make it easy for you to get the menu and check it out as well. But I just want to encourage you, man, small groups, you can also go to our small group kiosk in the lobby if you have any questions and you, you want somebody to answer some questions about small groups. We are ready. People are there to answer any questions you may have. Listen to me. Join a group find a family. That's what we really believe here at Vibrant Church. In fact, I just want to share a quick little story about this, about the power of small groups here at Vibrant Church. About 10 years ago, some good friends of mine, Pam and Roy Brown. Pam, wave your hand to everybody. Everybody say, hi, Pam. <laughs> I love you, Pam. Pam and Roy Brown, they decided to step out and try a small group for the very first time 10 years ago. And that small group was led by some other dear friends of mine. That's Doug and Jenny Hutcherson. If you guys would stand up, come on, give them a big hand, everybody. That group was led by them. And it was during that time that Pam and Roy were going through a very difficult situation in their family, and they really needed some people to walk it with them and, and just give them support and strength. And so this small group actually stepped up and loved on them and prayed with Pam and Roy and, and their situation and led them through. And in, in this small group, Pam and Roy Brown found family there. Well, because of that experience, Pam then chose to lead a small group on her own, and that small group's called Girlfriends here at Vibrant Church. It's been going on for years, this small group has, and ladies come together for this small group, have been doing it, doing it for years. So many ladies have found family in that small group. One of those ladies was Jenny Allen. Jenny, would you stand? Jenny Allen came to that small group. Give her a big hand, everybody. And... She found relationships, she found family in the girlfriend small group, and she has since, she's been leading small groups and attending small groups here at Vibrant Church. The point is, get in a small group and find a family. Watch the progression, how God works, it's so powerful. Because of the Hutcherson's faithfulness in leading their small group, where many lives were changed in that group many years ago, and because of that, Pam jumped out and led a small group because of her experience, and then Jenny jumped out there and started leading small groups. And so all these people found family, but look how God works it. It all happened because of the faithfulness of one couple, Doug and Jenny Hutcherson, who stepped out there and look how God chain reacts, changed lives. If you don't think God can use you, you're absolutely wrong. And I wanna encourage you to jump in, maybe find out some information on how you can lead a small group here at Vibrant Church. They'll help you out there at the small group's kiosk. Come on, give them all a big hand one more time, everybody. Small groups are awesome. They are the lifeblood of the church. Well, welcome to, I wanna welcome you again to our series on Revelation. Everybody say Revelation. How many are you ready to get in the word of God today? Come on, how many ready to get in God's word today, amen? There we go, there we go. I hope you got your note sheet ready. Uh, we're jumping in, and if you're just joining us, if you've just been here with us, 
uh, you're just connecting with us in, whether it's here in the house or online or by radio, uh, you're probably wondering maybe where we are. I'm telling you this series, all birth, you've heard me say it before, from a, the number one question I've been asked during this whole season, this whole year we've been in, is are we in the last days because of all this stuff happening in our world? And the answer unequivocally is yes. And we've been in the last days since Jesus ascended to heaven. Because the rapture of the church is imminent. There's nothing prophetically that must happen in order for the rapture to occur. Jesus himself doesn't even know the time of that. He actually said, I don't even know. My father knows. He'll tell me when it's time. And aren't you glad, though, that he's coming back again soon, somebody? Amen? So Jesus is coming. And so all this stuff we see, this upheaval in the world and in our culture, people are feeling their stability being rocked. And that's also prophetic because Scripture says that God will shake everything that can be shaken in order that only that which is real will remain. And so we're in a shaking season, and there's a lot of things going on. It's a prophetic fulfillment of where God is taking the earth. The great thing about it is that God wanted us to know where he's taking everything. He wanted us to know the future. He wanted us to know, hey, here's where I'm going. Not so it'll scare us, but so it'll build faith in our life. So it's not to worry us, it's to cause us to worship. Why? Because in the end, aren't you glad that we win? We have the victory, everybody. So God gives us the roadmap, but it is a little hard. The book of Revelation is very hard to, a lot of times to, 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 to figure out, to decipher, to interpret. It's very intrinsic. It's very intriguing, a book of the Bible. A lot of people just avoid it because it is very obscure in a lot of ways to figure out. So that's why we've been diving into it. And today, as we launch into chapter 14 and 15 and 16, these are all three kind of together, but specifically chapter 14. Today, I want to open up with a question this morning, and that is, what do you do when life isn't fair? What do you do when life isn't fair? And I don't mean the kind of, mommy, he has more candy than I do kind of unfair. Like the kind you hear from your kids, you know, that's not fair. That's not fair. My motto is, pay a bill, get a say. Until then, shut up, okay? So, amen. Parenting 101 from Vibrant Church, hallelujah. Okay, so, I'm not talking, that's not the kind of unfair, I'm not talking about the, you know, she got an A and I got a B and I should have got an A type of unfair. I'm not talking about that kind of unfair that, you know, he got the promotion, I felt like I should have got. No, no, what do you do when life is really, really unfair? When your parents abused you and you have to live the rest of your life with that and it's not fair? Or when you maybe experience being assaulted or violated, or maybe even raped, and maybe the offender got off scot-free, and you have to live with that. It affects everything about who you are. That's not fair. What do you do when life at its deepest level is unfair? You're born with a handicap that affects you every single day of your life, and it's not fair. Or somebody gossiped about you and spread a rumor about you that was a complete lie, and people believed it. You know it's a lie, but it affects every relationship in your life, and it's not fair. Or maybe you were discriminated against or hated on because of the color of your skin, or because of your station in life, or because of where you come from, or what, where you've been, or the socioeconomic status of the ladder you fall on. Or maybe you're 55 years old and you've given your life to a company, but you just got laid off and you're without a job because it saved the company a couple of extra dollars, and now you and your family are suffering every day because of it, and it's just not fair. What do you do in life at its deepest level is not fair? In the next few chapters of the book of Revelation, believers, the Bible indicates believers in Christ are allowed to be persecuted by the Antichrist. Is that fair? These, these next few chapters of Revelation 14, 15, and 16, it gives us four realities that empower hope in our heart even when our world is falling apart. Let me ask you something. Does your world fall apart sometimes? Of course it does. What do you do when your world is falling apart? What do you do when the world is falling apart? The great thing about the book of Revelation to me is that it tells us here is life at its worst. Here is unfair at the most unfair, but here is God's hope right in the middle of all of it. Since chapter 11, we've been focused on what's happening in the earth on the political and spiritual power of the Antichrist and the false prophet and their control over the nations and their control over humanity. But here in chapter 14, we turn from the political to the spiritual. 
and we see clearly that, that, that God gives us hope no matter what. So as we turn to chapter 14 and begin to look through these four realities that give us hope, these four events that are going to happen, we're gonna see that it's a little bit difficult to figure out the timeline of Revelation beginning there. Some people try to make everything in these chapters fit exactly into the timeline of the tribulation. But for me, that's a little bit difficult because the further we get toward the end of time, the more chaotic things tend to get. In fact, the further we get towards the end of time, the more heaven starts to break out upon this earth and the more difficult things begin to get to figure out exact timelines. So that's not the point of these three chapters. It's not about what events happen and why they happen and how they happen and the order they happen. The point is there are four events that will happen and knowing these events will happen change everything in our life. Four events for your life and my life when the world is falling apart. Now to understand these realities, we need to step back and remember where we are in this study in Revelation. So for those of you who are just joining us into it or you're just logging on and being a part of it, let me give you a little context on where we've been so far. If you remember, the, from the very first Sunday, we started with worship. Everybody say worship. Worship is that attitude that helps you understand everything in the book of Revelation. If you try to understand Revelation from the perspective of your worries, you're never gonna make it because this book is just gonna make you worry all the more. But if you understand it from the perspective of the worship of God and of who he is, this book begins to make sense to you. So we talked about that in chapter four and five, and then we started looking at the opening of the seven seals and the disasters that start coming upon the earth. And then we looked at the opening of the seven trumpets, and, and as they're expressed, more disasters begin to, to fall upon the earth. And then after that, these last few weeks, we've been looking at this long intermission between the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of wrath, which will be the final expression of God's judgment upon the earth. Now remember, in this intermission, we've seen lots of battles take place. We looked at the battle between the two witnesses and, and the satanic power of the earth. There's been the battle of the dragon and the woman. We talked about that. We also saw last Sunday the battle between, of this horrible beast that comes up out of the sea and one that comes up out of the land that signifies the Antichrist and the false prophet and their battle against the people of God. And in these last few chapters, it seems like Satan is getting more and more control. It seems like he's having his way more and more. Let me ask you a question. Does it ever seem like that in your life sometimes? You see, Revelation isn't a book just about the end. Revelation is a book about us. It's a book about hope for anybody at any time. And I'm telling you, if God can give hope in the circumstances we're gonna look at today, I guarantee you, he can give you hope in your life, however dark it is in what you're going through. Can you say amen, everybody? All through those earlier chapters where, where Satan seems to be gaining more and more power, we find God reminding us to hold on and to, and to keep having faith. And today we hit chapter 14 and we see exactly why. These are four events, these four unforgettable pictures, these four, these four real pictures, these four places that the future is inevitably headed towards, you see the reason to hope. So today we're gonna to talk about some hope even when life is not fair. Are there any hope fans in the house today? I don't know about you, but I'm a fan of hope. Amen, everybody. So to begin with, what I want us to do is embrace the fact that we all struggle with this. We need to embrace it. We all struggle with it. You're not the only one. You may feel like your life is the only one that's not fair and other people don't struggle as much as you do, but I found the more I talk to people, we all struggle with this. But God gives hope to anybody and everybody. Think about it. What is it personally that gives that strong feeling that life is just not fair? I mean, we can talk about how unfair life is all day long. There's a lot of things that are unfair because how many of you found out that life just ain't fair, right? So what does God do about it? God tells us what the future is all about, and he tells us the hope that he has for us for the future. And I love the way Revelation 14 starts, especially in light of what we've looked at over the past few weeks. The last few weeks, we've looked at these, these beasts, and we've looked at these horns, and we've looked at all these horrible pictures of evil 
Then we get to Revelation 14, and in light of all these evil pictures building one to the other, and all this evil that's getting worse and worse and worse, I love how John opens up Revelation 14 in verse one. He says, then I looked, and before me was the lamb. Praise God for that. Isn't that not a relief? What a joy. What a strength that is, that in the middle of of all these horrors that are going on, comes the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And as soon as he walks on the scene, man, it changes everything. Can anybody testify today that the minute he walked on the scene of your life, it changed everything? I just feel like encouraging somebody right now. Whatever darkness you're going through in your life, if you just let Jesus on the scene of it, I'm telling you, it will change everything in your life. It'll change as soon as Jesus walks on the scene of the end times, as soon as he walks into the situation, we see hope again. We see it clearly. It's been there all the way through, but we can just see it more clearly now when Jesus, we see Jesus more clearly. And so here's how John describes it in verse one through three. He says, then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion And with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sing a new song, a new song. Somebody say a new song. We're going to come back to that. They sing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. I want to talk today about four realities that give us hope when the world is falling apart. Y'all ready to get into it, everybody? Here we go. Get your note sheet. I want to start with this great news, all right? What's the first picture we see John give? He gives us the picture of the lamb leading worship, that Jesus, along with the 144,000 leading in this incredible expression of worship. It's so incredible. How do you even describe it? John's trying to describe it. He doesn't even know. He says, man, I'm trying to describe it. It's like, he says, like the roar of rushing waters. It's like, it's like thunder. It's like harpists by the thousands playing harps. And the Bible says they're singing this new song before the lamb and with the lamb. Now, there's a couple of questions that we do need to ask about these 144,000 that before we actually look at the song they sang and the significance of the song that they sang, first of all, the Bible says that they were standing on Mount Zion. Everybody say Mount Zion. What does that mean? Is it the Mount Zion in Israel, in Jerusalem, or is it the Mount Zion that's talked about in heaven? Hebrews chapter 12 actually says that you and I, because of Jesus, have come now to the heavenly city known as Mount Zion. So there's an expression of Mount Zion being in heaven. But there's also a very real actual Mount Zion, obviously, in Jerusalem. So which one is this talking about here? I believe it's not the actual, but the spiritual Mount Zion that that it's talking about right here. Why do I believe that? Well, for one stark reason. You can't fit 144,000 people on the actual Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Okay, everybody? I mean, if we're going to take it realistically, how many of you know we need to take it realistically, right? You couldn't actually fit that many people on the actual Mount Zion in Jerusalem. But there's also the fact that it says here that they're singing this new song before the throne, They're singing it before the elders. So these are all previous descriptions of a place called heaven. So I think this is an expression of incredible worship that's going on before the Lord in heaven. Now that's an easy question to ask about these 144,000. Are they on Mount Zion spiritually or actual? We We know it's heavenly, that's easy because the next part of the verse actually says this in verse four. Those, these are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. Makes me think a little bit on this one. Is this verse expressing that God is somehow saying that it's better to be a virgin, that it's better to be pure, that there's something defiling in sex? Well, we obviously know if you read the rest of your Bible, you know that's not true. We understand that God created 
sex from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden. God made men and women to be together. As far back as the book of Genesis, he expresses the beauty of the sexual relationship. In Ephesians chapter five, he actually talks about the husband and the wife, that their relationship with one another is an expression of the love that Christ has for the church. So this is not what you think it is when you first read it. The question is, is there celibacy actual or is it spiritual? I mean, would we be more spiritual if we were celibate? I hope not. Really, I hope not. Don't look so spiritual. Can I get an amen, somebody? And I believe not, too, because of the picture that the Bible gives us of the sexual relationship in marriage. Listen, if that's the criteria, I'm out. I'm gonna tell you right now. I mean, was like, you got three kids. You do know how that happens, right? Yes, I'm just not willing to give that up right now. Thank you very much. You must love children. Nope, I love my wife. Thank you. So I believe this is a, this is a spiritual picture. You read through the Old Testament, for example. You read through the Old Testament again and again, and you come across the fact that when God's people were unfaithful to him, it's pictured as being unfaithful in terms of a marriage. How many times in the Old Testament do we read that God looked at Israel and said that they were unfaithful to me? They broke their vow to me. They broke their covenant with me. He called them the harlot. Israel has played the harlot. Israel has been unfaithful as a nation because she did not follow after the Lord their God. And so here in chapter 14, these are people, watch, who chose even in the midst of a dark time when everyone else was worshiping the beast and everyone else was following the beast and everyone else was worshiping the ways of the world and following the ways of the world. These are people who chose to follow after the heart of God. Would be we had people like this today. It's an incredible picture of who, who is faithful to God no matter what. So these 144,000, they're also called God's first fruits who are redeemed from the earth. It's a great picture of the Old Testament. Let me tell you what I mean. In the book of Leviticus, it talks about uh, the feast that Israel had to perform according to the law of Moses. One of them was the, the, the feast of the grains. And what they would do when they bring in the harvest and the grain from the fields, they would do what they called the wave offering. And what that was is they would celebrate the fact that the first of the harvest had come in and the priests had to do a wave offering with the first of the grain of that harvest. Let me show you what I mean. In Leviticus chapter 23, it says, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. So during this feast, the priest would wave the first grain before the Lord as a sign, watch, that the entire harvest belonged to God. That's really what this is saying in Revelation, that these 144,000 are the first fruits. What, what it's saying is that we all belong to him. They're just the first fruits. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That, that, that someday we're all gonna be with him and enjoy him throughout all of eternity. Can you say amen, everybody? Then it goes to verses four and five, and it says they were purchased from among mankind and offered, help me out, they were offered as what? First fruits to God and the lamb, and no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Now, the only way that can happen is through the forgiveness and the power of Jesus Christ in someone's life. This isn't talking about perfect people. These are perfect people. That's not what it's talking about. How many of you know they know such thing as a perfect person? Right? This is not talking about perfect people. Listen, it's talking about redeemed people. People who are saved by the blood of the Lamb of God. What I like about the expression of these 144,000 is it says that they sang a new song. Come on, somebody say a new song. They sang a song that nobody else could know. They, they had such an intimate relationship with the Lamb, no one else could even learn the song they sang. And it's in this intimate relationship that they had with Jesus, it's expressed in the phrase we read in verse four, they followed the Lamb wherever he goes. That's what it says about these 144,000. Listen to that. They followed the Lamb wherever he goes. Let me say it again. They followed the Lamb wherever he goes. Almost sounds like a nursery rhyme in reverse. 
Instead of the lamb following Mary wherever she goes, it's 144,000 following the lamb wherever he goes. How many of you know that's the best of life right there? There's no better way to live your life than to say, wherever Jesus goes, I'm going to follow him the rest of my life. Whatever Jesus does, I'm going to follow him the rest of my life. Where he leads me, I will follow. What he feeds me, I will swallow. Hallelujah. It says they sing a new song that no one else can learn. A song that, that is all the, all the greater because of what they've been through and what they've suffered. That they, they've, they've been persecuted. They've, been, they've lasted through the most horrible difficulties of life. Again and again, this book of Revelation reminds us this is, that this is the great news. That no matter how unfair life has been to you. No matter what tragedies you've had to go through. No matter how, how difficult that it's been in your life. You and I as believers, we end up singing in the end of it. Inevitably, that's where we're headed. Hallelujah. That's the good news that Christ has for us. And no matter what you've been through, one day our sorrows will be transformed into songs. Hallelujah. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? That's what God's going to do in my life. That's what God's going to do in your life. The difficulties of life that we face here, somehow, in some way, he transforms it into, into a new song that we end up singing forever and forever. Come on, isn't that incredible news? When life isn't unfair, when, when life is so unfair, when, when things happen that are completely unfair, I have to remember as a believer that one day, all of my sorrows are going to be transformed into songs. I believe he's doing it right now. It says in Romans 8 that God begins to work things together for our good long before we go to heaven. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever turned one of your sorrows into a song? Anybody here understand what I'm saying? Has anybody ever had a sorrow in your life that you dealt with and you grieved about and you hurt from, but God intervened and turned it into a song of your heart? Does anybody know what it's like to have a sorrow be turned into a song? I'm telling you, he does that in people's lives. He turns the, the, the sorrow into the song. And I know that some of you are listening today and some of you, you've got a sorrow that hasn't been turned into a song yet. And I promise you, I promise you this, that someday that sorrow is going to be turned into a song. It may happen on this earth. It may not happen on this earth. You, you trust God with what's in this earth. And you realize that if it stays a sorrow in your life, the rest of your life, one day it will be changed. Even if it's not fair for you the rest of your life. Come on, aren't you glad today that one day your sorrows will be turned into songs? before the Lord. That's the great hope that we have. And that's the first picture we have here is the lamb is leading worship in heaven. Such a powerful part of these four realities that we see. The second one is this, write this down. We find some angels that are announcing the truth. We have angels that are announcing the truth. And this first angel, as he starts to talk, I want you to notice, I want you to notice two words. In this scripture, starting in verse four, he, it says, then I saw another angel flying in midair and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. Help me out, everybody. He said, and what kind of a voice? Come on, everybody say a loud voice. It's a word that's very important in chapters 14 through 16. It's used seven times in these chapters. Again and again, the voice from heaven, whether it's an angel or whether it's from God himself, the voice from heaven changes everything. It's interesting because when you feel like life's unfair, what happens? One of the things that goes along with that feeling is the feeling like you're just not being heard. As much as it hurts, and as much as you talk about the hurt, you're just not being heard. And the truth is, sometimes you're not being heard. Sometimes your voice falls silent, and you begin to think, will my voice ever be heard? Maybe not, but aren't you glad that his voice will be heard? And when his voice is heard, come on, it changes everything. When his voice is heard, we as believers have hope. 
That's the inevitable truth. That's what we look forward to. And this angel comes and the Bible says, he starts proclaiming a gospel. Everybody say gospel. It's the one time in the book of Revelation that this word gospel is used. The only time it's used is here in Revelation 14. If you don't know what the word gospel means, it simply just means good news. Aren't you glad that Jesus gives us some good news? In a world full of bad news, aren't you glad that we got some good news in Jesus, right? It simply means good news. And so this angel speaks and it changes everything because he's got some good news. Look at verse seven. It actually says, he said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. He says, worship him. Everybody say, worship him. Worship him who made that. Now notice, look at how he switches to nature. He says, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And so he talks about, so this first angel, I wanna show you this, this first angel, the good news of the first angel is simply this, worship God. Come on, everybody say worship God. That's good news, because you need to worship God. I don't know about you, but I believe that there is a real God to worship. That's some good news, y'all. People are told by this angel, he says to worship God. Now watch how he, he, he starts getting into nature. Worship God. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. So watch. He goes back and uses the witness of nature, not just of the Bible, but of nature itself. And he says, look at all these things that he made. Now understand, all of those things are about to be destroyed in the coming chapters. All of it. He says, listen, nature is a witness to the grace of God or to the greatness of God. Someone once said that to deny that you can see God in nature takes four years of college and two years of postgraduate work. That's how long it takes to deny that you can actually see God in nature. How many of you know sometimes we are so smart that we miss the most obvious thing that God is real and this angel says to worship God. Why is this good news? Why is it so important? Look at what the next two angels had to say. The next one in verse, th uh, verse eight says, a second angel followed and said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. And so what this second angel, his good news, the second angel was that Babylon has fallen. Babylon, what's that talking about? What's Babylon? Isn't that some low-budget science fiction show that nobody cares about? What is Babylon? Understand, this is the first mention in the book of Revelation about Babylon the Great. Now listen, when we get to chapter 17 and 18, we're gonna, we're gonna dive deep into Babylon and what that is. We're gonna, we're gonna take a real close look at what this means and what he's talking about here. But for today in chapter 14, suffice it to say, Babylon is simply representation of Satan's power structure in the earth. This is the way that Satan gets done everything he's going to do during the tribulation period. And notice that the angel comes and says, it is fallen. Everything that's part of Satan's principality, everything that's part of the way that he rules the world, it's all going to fall apart in the end. Can you say amen, everybody? And then this third angel comes, and honestly... There's a part of me that doesn't even want to read what the third angel says. None of us really want to look at what the third angel says because the news that he brings is not good news for many. It's true, but it's not good. And let's look at it. In verse nine, the third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image, 
or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. So the third angel comes along and says, don't worship Satan. Now before you check out on the point and think, well, I'm not a Satan worshiper, hang with me. Because these are some of the most sobering words. These are some of the most sobering truth in all of the Bible, what we just read. So you read those pictures of fire and smoke and torment and no rest day and night, and you don't even have to be told. You almost know intuitively, right? We argue about it all the time in our society. People argue with themselves and they set up philosophies about it, but we really don't have to be told. There is something in it that tells us this is real. Because if there is such an evil force and an evil power in this world, something's gonna have to happen to that evil force or power. This is real. This is a picture of suffering. Listen to me. This is a picture of hell. It is a real place. It is not a metaphor. It is not an imagery. It is a very real place. And as we look at this picture, there's part of us we want to ignore it. We want to pretend that it's not there because we know that it's very real for people we love and care about. As the world looks at this picture, isn't it true? Come on, we all want to ignore it. We'd rather pretend that, that there's a God in heaven who just wants, who, who, who doesn't believe in a place called hell. He just wants to take everybody to heaven and there is really no place called hell. Yet this is just as real as anything else that's going to happen in the book of Revelation. We don't want to deal with it though. No, 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 no. Oh God, no, no, no. La, 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 la. I don't want to hear about hell. La, 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 la. We want to ignore this. We don't like it. We can't understand it. Yet when we look at this truth, you have to wonder, how does this fit with the gospel? How does a picture so horrible fit with the gospel? How does this bad news fit with the good news? I'll tell you how. Because this is the news that makes the good news so good. When you understand this news, you understand how good the good news really is. Because the bad news is, this is where every one of us was headed without Jesus Christ. Every one of us in this room, every one of us watching online, everyone listening by radio, the bad news is, no one could be good enough, no one could be smart enough to avoid heading towards separation from God and everything that that means. Of course it would be torment. Of course it would be suffering. God is all that is good. And so to be separated from him would be eternally tragic. And one of the reasons we have a hard time accepting this truth, that there is a real hell, is because we don't understand, especially those of us in the church, we don't understand so sometimes how desperate our situation really is without God. We don't know we, how desperately we need God. The truth is, we, are, we're, we were all headed there. Had it not been for the fact that Jesus Christ came and he rescued us, this is where we would all end up, right here. And I want you to notice two words. Stay with me. Notice two words very carefully in this verse nine. I want you to sit with me. If anyone worships the beast, blah, 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 everyone say, they too. Come on, one more time, everybody say, they too. They too will drink the wine of God's fury. Don't miss this because that word too is extremely important to this passage of scripture. I want you to understand something right now and you need to get this down in your knower. Like know it. Here it is right here. Hell is not a place that was made for people. You need to know that. It's a place that was made for Satan and for his demons to spend all of eternity. Hell was not created for people. But scripture says that if someone chooses to worship him, if someone says, I choose to stand with Satan, I, I choose to follow his way. Listen, he's gonna have his way. Watch, he too 
will be with him. I don't know about you, but I want to be, I don't want to be with him. I want to be with God. I want to worship the one who in my darkest sin didn't leave me where I was, but saw me in the pit that I was in and stepped out of his divinity and stepped into my humanity and stuck his bloody hand into the dirty pit that I was in and pulled me out of the mire, pulled me out of the mess and cleaned me off and forgave me and gave me a new purpose. I want to worship him. I want to worship the one who wants and desires to take us to heaven so we can enjoy his presence for all of eternity. If I refuse to worship God, watch, then I too will be with the beast. I too will be with Satan in all his power. And the place where he's gonna spend eternity is not a place that any one of us would wanna spend eternity. Listen, you need to know, God wants, God is desperate to rescue everyone from this destruction. That's his desire. That's his heart, man. That's his passion. Let me, let, let me just paint a picture for you of how desperately in need of this we are. Because I believe we need to help people understand our need to be rescued. Here in the southeast of the United States, we live probably in the greatest flood zones of America. Every one of us have seen how quickly thunderstorms can produce flash floods. We've all seen it. We've all seen how the river can rise and get violent in places during a, a massive storm. And inevitably, every year you're gonna see that picture on television of somebody who got caught in a flash flood and got swept up in a raging river current. And the tragedy and the terror of it is that once they get caught in it, they are completely helpless. They are at the mercy of the violent current that they're trapped in. And where are they headed? Listen to me, they are rushing towards destruction and there's nothing they can do about it. And so what happens? We find that someone comes and tries to rescue them. Don't miss the point because the biblical picture here is that, listen to me, all of mankind is in this raging river. All of mankind is in this torrent, in this current, headed together towards certain and irreversible destruction. Every one of us are in the current. It's not as if some of us are on the bank chilling out. Some of us are kind of dabbling our feet in the water. Some of us are kind of wading waist deep just hanging out. No, all of us are without God in the world. And without the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ, there is no hope and there is no rescue. This is why Jesus coming to earth was so important. This is why there's only one way to God because Jesus is the only way. He's the only one who stands on the side of this river. He stands on the bank of this river with, river with his hands stretched out saying, grab hold of me. I will rescue you. Nobody else can rescue you. I paid the price for you. It's already paid for. You can't save yourself. Only I can save you. And you don't have to do anything. Just reach out and grab hold of me. And listen, if I look at him with his outstretched hand to me in this current, and I look at him and I say, no, the good news is, oh, he still doesn't give up on me. Oh no, his mercy is everlasting. His grace is unlimited. You know what Jesus does? He just runs down the bank a little further and waits on me again. And he's got his arms stretched out once again saying, come on, grab hold of me. I can rescue you. And listen, he'll keep doing it for the rest of my life. He'll keep running ahead, sticking out his hand, and I refuse, he'll run ahead. He'll do it for the rest of my life. But listen, if, if for the rest of my life, I say no to that invitation, I say no to that hand, I say no to that rescue, the Bible says here in Revelation, here's where you're headed without him. You are headed towards eternal destruction in a place where the Bible says the worm dies not. In a place 
where the fire is unquenched. In a place where men gnaw their tongues for pain. In a place of screaming in agony for just one break, just one second of relief, but yet none comes. In a place of isolation, in a place where the smoke of their torment rises to the angels forever and forever and forever. Jesus painted the picture of it in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man when they both died and Lazarus went to the to heaven and the rich man went to hell and Jesus painted the picture that Lazarus or the rich rich man he looked up and he said he said can can somebody just tell Lazarus to come and dip his finger in some water and just put a drop of it on my tongue but there's no relief it's the current that leads to destruction and listen, let me just tell you, in this river, in this river, together with all of mankind, listen, there are some people who are better than others. There's some really good people. They're good people. Oh, they're so good. They take care of their neighbors. They take care of animals. They're good citizens. They're nice. They crochet. They give money to causes. Oh, there's some good, good people in this current. There are, there are some people in this river who are really nice people. They don't, ever, they don't ever push anybody else in the water. They don't try to climb over anybody else to get out. There are some people in this river that are nicer than other people. But it doesn't matter because we're all headed toward destruction. Every one of us. I hear it all the time. Well, man, they're good, but they're good. They were so good. It doesn't matter. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags to a holy God. That even on our best day, we still fall short of his glory. Our goodness cannot get us into heaven. If that were the case, Jesus would never have to come. It doesn't matter. We're all headed there, every one of us. Oh, oh, and by the way, in that river, there's also some philosophers that will tell you we're all raging in the current and there's philosophers that are, are talking to people in the current saying, hey, I think we're headed towards life. I think that there's a bright light at the end of the current. Oh, I've heard these stories about destruction at the end. That's not where we're headed. We're headed to a deeper consciousness. Listen, it doesn't matter what they tell you in your school. It doesn't matter what the professors in your university are pumping into your head. You better hear me. We're all in the same river. And them, as well as all of us, without Jesus, we are headed toward certain destruction. There's some who will look at the hand of Jesus stretched out to them. And there are some in this river who will look at Jesus and say, you know what? Jesus is saying, I'll rescue you. I'm here to rescue you. And they'll look at him and say, you know, I think that there's another way. I think there's a better way. And that whole surrender thing. Now I kind of like being my own God. Kind of like worshiping me a little more. Yeah, I kind of think I'll harden my heart toward that. Now I'm going to pass. I think that there's a better way to get out of this river. Or they say to themselves, I'm fine with the river. I've heard people say this. Now, I'm cool. Hey, man, everybody I know is with me. And when we get to the end of the river, man, we're just going to have a big party for all of eternity. I hear people say garbage like this. I don't care if I go to hell. All my friends will be there. We'll just have a big party. Let me tell you something about hell, ladies and gentlemen. You better hear me clearly. Hell is not a party. Hell is final and eternal destruction. There will be no party. People think they're going to see people in hell. Now, let me tell you something. Hell is complete isolation. You will see nobody. You will be suffering in unimaginable torment where there is no relief. There is no day where it stops. There is not, nobody coming. You will scream for mercy to ears that will no longer hear you. You will beg for, for it to relent, and it will not happen and forever and forever, the demons of hell will remind you 
forever and ever the times that the hand was stretched out and you said no. You'll remember it forever. It flashes will come before your eyes all through eternity where the hand of Jesus was outstretched in the current and you said no. And you'll sit there in torment saying, I was there. I was in that service when Pastor James was talking about Revelation. I was there. I had the chance. Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And it's over. I believe the greatest prayer that's being prayed right now in all of the universe is being prayed in hell. When Jesus gave the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, one of the things he pointed out was the rich man begged God to go to his brothers and his family and tell them of this place because he didn't want them to suffer. I believe the greatest prayer in all of God's realm is being prayed in hell. They're praying right now that you never go there. They're begging God. He can't even hear them, but they're begging God right now. Please go tell them that this is no joke, that this is real. C.S. Lewis famously said that hell is nothing but yourself for all of eternity. There's no party there. There's no joy. And Jesus comes into that situation and he stretches out his hand and he holds it out for the rest of your life. And he says, I'll rescue you. Just grab my hand. I want to rescue you. I'll pay for it. He never stops saying it, even to the very end. Which is why when people say, how does a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. People send themselves. A loving God already made a way for rescue. And so everything that's happened here in Revelation, all the destruction that's coming, Jesus is still saying, I will rescue you. Just grab hold of my hand. Surrender to me. Let me show you what life really is to the fullest. And when we do surrender, when we do take him up on that rescue, when we do grab hold of that hand, here's what happens in verse 11 through 13. It says, there will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or for anyone who receives the mark in his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and re remain faithful to Jesus. John said, then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. Watch this. They will what? They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. What a great picture. No rest for the wicked, but eternal rest for the righteous. Can you say amen? That's the hope that God gives. Write it down. The hope that God gives is one day we will rest from our labor. We're going to rest from the work of trying to make life work. We're going to rest from the load of trying to bear up under the unfairness of this life. And for those who, who have read this book of Revelation then, and for so many who, have, who read it today, who are under persecution and have no rest from that persecution that comes upon those who believe in Jesus, that's what it takes. It takes that belief. It takes that determination. I'm going to be faithful even in the middle of the darkness because my rest is coming. It's interesting. The rest of the unbelieving world seems to be prospering while God's people seem to be persecuted. What's fair in that? There's nothing fair in that. Ah, but the story's not over yet. In light of this hope that he gives, what shall we do? In light of this light that he wants to give to us, what shall we do? Listen, we are to do the same thing the angels did. These angels went out, the Bible says, and proclaimed to all the earth exactly what you and I should be proclaiming to everyone that is around us right now. We should be proclaiming the good news. The good news. Because there is a real place called hell. 
But the good news is you don't have to go there. There's a hand stretched out. The good news is you should worship God. The good news is that the power of Satan has and is going to be inevitably fallen. And those who, those who are, are with him are going to be separated from him, for all, from God for all of eternity. So worship God, the one who loves you, the one who wants to rescue you. You see, our joy as believers is to tell other people and to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ to them, not to sit by and watch them rage in a current unaware to their destruction. That's what it means to disgrace somebody, is to watch someone heading towards certain destruction and turn your head and say nothing. To grace someone is to stand in between them and certain destruction and say there's a better way. There's a better way. I don't know about you, but I don't want to disgrace anybody. I want to be a grace agent in somebody's life. Now, as we look at these four realities, we talked about the fact that there's two futures, right? There's the future that's singing with the lamb, and there's a future that is separated from God. And we've talked about the gospel that we have, the good news, the opportunity that we have to, to, to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ to people. Okay, out of the, we've talked about two of the four events. How many of you want to know what the other two events are in Revelation 14? Good. You'll have to come back next Sunday for that. We're going to stop right here. Stop right here. We're going to pick this up next week as, as part two of this section. Did you receive the word of God today, everybody? Did you receive that? Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one moving around. Please reverence this moment. Please remain seated. Father, I thank you for your word. God, in this moment, I pray that you would give us a passion for people who are in the current. Break our heart for what breaks your heart. Lord, we all know people in this room, all of us in this room, all of us, those watching online, those who are listening by radio, God, we all know people who are in the current. We all have friends that are in the current. We all have family that are in the current. And maybe our heart has just grown a little cold toward it. Maybe you use today as part of your word to thaw out our heart to the reality of a really real place called hell. Give us a passion, God. Lord, give us a heart for those people. God, use us. Use us as a rescue agent to them. To share the good news you can have rescue. God uses. That's what it's all about. That's what this life is all about. It's to proclaim the good news of Jesus. As you remain in prayer, maybe there's some of you in this room right now that maybe you are in need of rescue. <laughs> maybe you're the one that right now the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart right where you sit or you're watching online or listening to the radio. Maybe you're the one that needs rescue. Maybe you're the one the Holy Spirit is turning in your heart saying, this is for you. This is for you right now. This is the moment that my hand is again stretched out and saying, grab hold of me. And you're tempted, you're tempted right now to just say, no, I'm good. I beg of you not to harden your heart toward the Holy Spirit. You may think you have more time. You may think that you have more time to make this decision. My friend, death is no respecter of person. There are many thousands of people yesterday who thought that they were gonna live today and they didn't see it. They thought that, they, they thought that tomorrow was guaranteed. And today there's mourning families. They didn't make it. They didn't make it. You could harden your heart to the Holy Spirit today. He's got his hand reached out. Jesus does in this moment. If you harden your heart, you don't know what awaits you outside of these doors. You don't know. Don't be the one to stand before God and say, I was about to. 
I wanted to. Because then the book of your life is going to be closed. There is no redo. There's no second chance then. God's giving you that grace now. And for those of you who may be disconnecting from this moment thinking that you're good, let me just tell you clearly, I'm not talking about whether or not you believe in God. (laughs) I'm not talking about whether or not you believe in Jesus. Jesus said, many are going to stand before me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do everything in your name? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that for you? And your, didn't we go to church? Didn't we sing the song? Didn't we, weren't we raised in a Christian home? Didn't we believe in the Bible? Didn't we believe in all that? And he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. I didn't ask you whether you knew about him. I asked you whether you knew him. Do you know him? Not do you know about him. Do you know him? Do you know him personally? Do you know him intimately? How's the evidence of you know him? The evidence is, has it changed you? Has the life of Jesus changed you from the inside out? Or are you just playing church? Let me tell you something, my friend. These are the days we're living in now where God is separating the wheat from the tares. All this crisis, it reveals what's really underneath. Let me tell you something. When you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, what comes out? Toothpaste. The point is, what's in you is what's going to come out when the squeeze is applied. And right now, God is allowing the world to be squeezed. And I'm telling you, I fear for what I'm seeing coming out of the lives of some so-called Christians. And I think that's part of the reason why he's allowing this. He's separating the real from the fraud. And God's given you the opportunity in this moment right now. He just sent me as a messenger today to tell you that his hand is outstretched again because he's gracious and he loves you. Maybe for you, it's a re-surrendering of your life. Maybe you've gotten off track. Maybe your heart grew cold. Maybe you did something you're ashamed of, or maybe something was done to you that hurts you, and for whatever reason, you've, you've just gotten away from Jesus. Today, he's calling you back. It's a re-surrendering maybe for you. A friend, don't harden your heart to him. I want to pray with you just right where you sit. If you're watching online, I want you to participate. If you're here in this moment today, and you say, and that's me, I feel the Holy Spirit convicting and drawing me. I don't want to be in this current. I want to know that I know that I'm right. I want to know that I know that I'm at peace with God. I, I, don't, I don't want to just know about him. I want to know him. I want to know the real deal. I want a fresh start with God. If that's you, I want to pray with you right now. It's right where you are. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And if that's you, I want you to reach your hand up as if you were taking a hold of his right now. Come on, all over this room. Just stretch out your hand and say yes to him. That's it. Leave him up. I want to see you all over this room. So many of you, so many of you. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, this is the harvest for your glory right here. I want to lead you in a very simple prayer those of you who raised your hand, and we're going to pray with you as a church family right now, watching online, listening by radio. I want you to pray with me this simple prayer of forgiveness and faith. Come on, everyone praying out loud together. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me and rescue me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I surrender my whole life completely to you. I reach up to you and I take your hand, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me to live for you. Thank you for a fresh start. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. And the church ought to rip the roof off this place and give God some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Hey, let me ask you to do something for me as you remain seated. If you did raise your hand and you prayed that prayer with me, would you do me a favor? In the seat back in front of you, there's a connection card. Would you take that out just right now? Just real quick, take you five seconds. Would you fill your information? I want to know who you are. I want to know who, what God did in your life. I want to be praying for you. I want to celebrate with you. Would you let me know who you are? Just fill that out. Check the box that applies to your life today. And on your way out this morning in the exit ways, our ushers will have containers. Just drop it in as you leave. We want to be praying for you. We want to celebrate you. We want to share with you maybe some next steps that can strengthen your relationship with Jesus that we offer here at Vibrant Church. We want to say welcome home. We're so glad that you're part of the family of God now. It feels good to be out of the current. Can you say amen, everybody? It feels really good. So, so excited for you. And also, I want to thank you, church. Listen, thank you so much for being faithful to the Lord in your giving, your generosity. This is that time of the service every week that we would normally have this generosity moment and just, hey, we freely receive, let's freely give to the Lord and so into his work. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being faithful. Obviously, we're not passing containers during this time and regathering just for safety reasons, but we, we do have them in the exit ways. And if you'd like to be part of returning the tithe to God, even giving offerings above and beyond that. Thank you, church. We want to let you know there's several ways you can be a part of it, to give, to partner. Listen, the people that came to Jesus today, that you guys are part of that. You guys are, are helping fuel the gospel of Jesus Christ with your generosity. Thank you so much for being faithful to him. And there's a few ways you can be a part. You can give through the envelopes and the seat backs in front of you. You can fill that out today and drop it in the containers of the ushers and the exit ways. You can give as you go on your way out this morning. You can also give online. You can go to vibrantchurch.com slash giving. Those of you who are watching online, you can participate that way and partner with us in reaching people for Jesus. Or you can do what a lot of people do. You can text to give. You can actually text the word vibrant to 77977 right there on your phone. And it'll send you a few secure steps and you can give real quick, real easy, real secure. That way we just try to make it easy for everybody to participate. Thank you, church. I believe the Bible's true. The Bible says, he who refreshes others, he himself will be refreshed. And I believe through your giving, you are refreshing the lives spiritually of so many people that you don't even know right now through our outreaches, the things that we're doing every week. You are refreshing others through your giving. And I truly believe God's going to come behind your life and refresh you in ways you could not even imagine. How many of you believe that this morning? Amen, everybody. Hey, listen, I want to remind you, Big Serve Saturday is coming up this coming Saturday. Don't miss it, man. We're going to do this once a month. Just a big serve day. Get out there in our community for a couple hours. It's already organized and ready for you. Just get some information. If you want more information, it's out there in the lobby. Don't forget, small groups are going down next week. We have opportunities for you to find out what the menu is. It's out there in the lobby. Scan that code. Ask the kiosk out there. They'll help, help you with that. And don't forget, first Wednesday. This Wednesday night, 7 p.m., it's going to be awesome in the house. Bring your family. It's going to be a great time. Come on, stand to your feet. And before you leave, would you open up your hands and just let me pray over your life? I just pray. Come on, receive this. I just pray. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you. And may he give you peace. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night. Have a great week, everybody.